few of your Bibles with you, would you please turn to the book of 1 John this morning? 1 John. 1 John is all the way near the end of the New Testament. In case you're wondering, don't go to John chapter 1. Go to 1 John chapter 1. Um, if you are with us and you missed last week, you, you, would have heard, uh, you wouldn't have heard that this week we're starting a new series called Real Christianity. And uh, it's all based out of the book of 1 John. And we're going to talk through that a little bit. But if you are online, if you're a tech-savvy tech person, even if you're not, if you just have an email address and you're on our distribution list, you'll be receiving emails from us with updates. And we did send an email out this past week with a reading plan that tells you every week, every part of 1 John that we are going to be covering. And if you didn't get that email or you didn't see it through Facebook and you prefer hard copies and paper, you can go back to our welcome center and you can take one of these home with you because it has all the reading plans on the bottom and the name of the title the sermon and all the information that you would need to know is right here in the middle but we're going to spend the next seven actually eight Sundays next week we're taking a break because Rob and Steph Gecki are going to be here they're uh, our missionaries to the Middle East and they're going to be here during our Sunday services and talk about what God's been doing in Oman and their recent changes that they're getting ready to change and to move to Dubai um, and they'll be here next week with their kids. Uh, but for the next seven Sundays that we do the series, we're going to be walking through this passage of Scripture. And uh, I believe it's so super, super important for us to read this. And I'll talk about that throughout the next number of weeks. Before we get started with First John, though, um, we're going to do something every week that I, I believe in my heart. I felt like the Lord put in my heart for us to do. Because we don't live in a world, I think, sometimes that definitely sees the Bible as the Bible is meant to be seen. And I think even within the church sometimes, you know, if you, if you ask people across the church what's the number one thing that they struggle with in their faith, sometimes, and I would say not even sometimes, the majority of time, it's consistent reading of God's word. It's understanding that this is the actual meat and life that God has asked us to plant inside of us. And we can try to hear God all we want just through prayer. And the Holy Spirit does speak to us and do that. But it's never a replacement for what God's word says. In fact, God's word is the anchor. God's word is the anchor so that when he does speak to us and give us discernment and the Holy Spirit does drop truth and wisdom into our hearts or speak prophetically into other people's lives, it always aligns itself with scripture. You need an anchor to be able to do that. So what we're going to do every week is we're going to do a a public reading, if you will, of a scripture that I think is important, and it's one of our core values, and it's 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. So we're going to put that up there today, and we're going to read through it every week. Okay, so I'm going to read through it first, ask you to repeat a couple things, and then we're going to read through it together. And the scripture is this. It says, all scripture, join me, say all scripture, all scripture, and it says, is God breathed, say God breathed. God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me explain it real quickly in case this is something you're not too familiar with. Paul's speaking to Timothy and he's telling him the entire word of God is God breathed. Okay, We believe in inspiration. We believe that God used men to be agents, not instruments of his word. And what I mean by that is an agent is someone who represents the word of God, the spoken word of God in their heart that they wrote on paper in their personality. They were not instruments. And what I mean by that is an instrument, if you take one of these instruments, can't play anything unless the person behind it is actually playing. God did not put his 
divine hand up the back of someone and grab their arm and make them move their hand. He inspired through connection with him and the Holy Spirit so that they could write the word of God down through their personalities. That's why over 40 different authors penned the word of God over 1,500 years, and it doesn't contradict each other. It was inspired by God. And we believe that the scripture is saying, as Paul says, that all scripture, this is our anchor. It is God-breathed. These were not words that some man or a bunch of men invented. And it's useful for teaching. What are we learning about? What is right in a world where right is subjective? Do we have a place to start to know what is right? It's useful for rebuking. We need to know not just what is right, but what is not right. How many times have we struggled with that in our culture? Well, if it's okay for you, if it works for you, it must be okay for you. It's not my preference, but if it's okay for you, it's okay. That's not what God's word says. There are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. Correcting is God's way of showing us how we can get back on the right track. So when we derail ourselves, we can use God's word as a correction. And then training in righteousness is once you're back on the rails, how to run. And stay there. And that's what the word of God is. Why? So that the servant of God, and guess what? If you're a follower of Christ today, you're a servant of God. May be thoroughly equipped so that you can be trained and you can have the training and the skills for every good work. Not just so that you're serving God, but you know it's good work in the way that we parent, in the way that we lead as husbands and wives, in the influence we can make in the world around us, in the gifts that God has given us. So our understanding of things like marriage and purity and how to find the gifts in people and raise them up to realize God's potential, that all those things are part of what it means to be equipped for every good work. So that's what the scripture says, and I'm going to ask you if you would read it with me. We're going to read it every single week. My hope is at the end of that time, if you don't know the scripture by heart, you will by the end of the seven weeks. So let's read it together, okay? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for... Let's stop again. Let's try it again. You guys, you got some loud voices in this place. I've heard you, trust me. So we're going to say it louder, okay? So let's try it one more time. Ready? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the reason why we're going to be using that scripture is because we're going to talk more about what the scripture actually says and less about what I have to say about it. Because I believe over the next seven weeks, we can... Have you ever had good advice from somebody? Anyone ever good advice from somebody? Raise your hand if you had good advice from somebody. You ever have bad advice from somebody? Raise your hand if you have bad advice from somebody. I've had both. I don't really care if you remember anything that I say over the next seven weeks. What I care about is if you actually read these five chapters and do what it says. Because if we apply and put our faith in what a man or a person says... It might feel good for a moment, and then it doesn't change us. But when we root it in what God's word says, that is the most important thing. And if we take what God's word says in scripture and says, that is what God's word says. It's like Jesus is standing here this morning and reciting these words from 1 John. That brings life. And that's what my hope is this morning and for the next seven weeks. So we're going to look at 1 John. And we're going to look at a series, like I said, called Real Christianity. And I'm calling it Real Christianity for a few reasons. Number one, 
What comes to your mind when you think of the word Christian? Just think about what comes to your mind when you think of the word Christian. If you ask people across our communities and our culture, if you ask people across the world what comes to mind when they think of the word Christian, you'll get many different answers. You'll get many different perspectives. People view Christianity through a lot of different lenses, if you will. In fact, a Pew Research poll said that currently in the United States, over 70% of our population identifies themselves as Christian. Over 70%. That's not even close to half. That's like almost three quarters of our country identifies themselves as Christian. Now, I don't want to say that I understand everything that needs to be understood about Christianity and what it should look like and what it shouldn't. But here's what I do know. Our country's screwed up. We have a lot of problems in our country, and I don't think the problems are getting a whole lot better, if I'm being honest with you. I think our situations continue to worsen, and we see more and more struggles and problems, and things that were not so much of an issue 20, 30 years ago seem to be getting worse and worse. It's like every generation of parents has the same conversation with regarding their kids. Going to school today is harder than it was when I was young. I said it with my kids today. My parents said it about me and her, their parents said it about them. It's like we're on this downward spiral that if 70% of our community and our country identifies themselves as Christian, why do we look the way that we look? Something is wrong. In fact, more than something, many things I believe are wrong. I think a lot of it comes down first with the definition of what it means to be a Christian, to be honest. I think we have so abandoned what the truth of what Christian actually means, that we probably need to take a step back and we need to rework it a little bit. And if I could separate them where they weren't separated in the New Testament, what you would find in the New Testament, which is interesting, is that the disciples never called themselves Christians. They called themselves disciples. They didn't call themselves Christians. It was only in, um, in the, the city of Antioch where it said where they were first referred to as Christians. And you know what Christian actually means? It means follower of Christ or little Christs. So they called themselves little Christ. The people in Antioch referred to the way, which was also referred in the first century church. Those that believed that Yeshua or Jesus was the Messiah, they referred to them as Christians or little Christs. Today, We've taken the follower of Christ or the disciple of Christ out of it and we've considered it now in terms of what we believe, not what we do. Growing up all of my life, you know what I heard most of the time? Well, make sure, Paul, when you get older and then when you find somebody that you want to marry, make sure they're a what? A believer. Or when you find somebody that's at school and you're like, hey, that's a nice person and the question would come, well, are you a believer? Can I tell you something real honest? Listen, the devil believes that Jesus is the son of God. The devil believes that God raised him from the dead. The devil believes that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. He's a believer. His faith is not in Christ. He's the great deceiver. But to say we believe isn't really a true definition in the scriptures of what it means to walk as a Christian. A real Christian isn't someone who just believes. A real Christian is a follower, is a student of Jesus. A real Christian doesn't just say, I believe all the stuff that you said, but I'm going to live my own life. A real Christian is a disciple of Christ who recognizes where Jesus was, where he's going, and does what Jesus did. That's a real disciple. 
And that's what he's calling the church to become. You know, in the Gospels, when you hear Jesus talk about in those days, meaning the days when we stand before God in judgment, there will be those that come before him and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not blah, 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 blah? And what is he going to say? He's going to say, away from me. I never what? I never knew you. Because there's a difference in believing and being a disciple. Think about that. If all we do is believe and our life is not changed in any way, shape, or form, how different are we than the great deceiver? If anybody believes that Jesus is the Messiah more than the devil, I would be surprised because the devil tried to destroy him. And the Bible says the cross is the great embarrassment to the devil. Why do you think he tries to destroy it? Why do you think so many symbols across our history and our timeline associate the cross either as a nice piece of jewelry or he does things like, like the KKK and he burns crosses and, and he turns it into a, 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 the crucifixion, for example, an element of destruction and hate or burning crosses like they did in the South against slavery and, and, and all these things that they did and it just it sows hate into the world and he wants the symbol of the cross to represent hate when the whole purpose of the cross was to represent love to mankind. He knows it better than any one of us. And over the next number of weeks, my heartbeat and my challenge for me, I'm not just speaking to you. I am looking at it through this lens to say, God, I don't care what you tell me to say. If I don't read this and do what it says, am I really a student? Am I really a disciple of you? And that's my heartbeat for this church this next seven weeks, that we don't just hear some words. Can I tell you, it's I'm just going to stop and start talking about God's word. How's that? The message this morning is titled, Walk in the Light. Walk in the light. And walking in the light is another way of saying being a disciple of Christ. Being a student of Christ. Do you know that Jesus died for you? I hope so. Do you know that he raised from the dead? I hope you're hearing you know that today. Are you a student of Jesus? Are you walking in the light of Christ? I hope you are. We're going to see what the Apostle John speaks to in this scripture, who he's talking to and why it's so important for us to follow it. In this book, John is writing to a heretical group of people. Heretical meaning they've, they've infiltrated the church. They've, from the outside, they've come into the church and they're teaching ill forms of Christian, Christianity. They called it Gnosticism which really is a, is a, comes from the word meaning knowledge. And the church was infiltrated by people that were taking the, pres- the, the truth of the gospel and was breaking it apart so that an incomplete gospel becomes a powerless gospel. And he's speaking to people and the church to say, you need to be grounded in what's real. You need to be grounded in the truth because you're hearing all of these other things. And people that were Gnostics would say things like they believed that matter in itself was evil. Okay, I'll just a little brief side, okay, so you can understand what this means. Matter is evil. So anything physical or tangible you could touch was evil. Therefore, Jesus could not have been 100% God and 100% man because if he was 100% man, he would be matter and matter would be evil evil. So Jesus would have an element of evil to him. And they're teaching these things throughout the church and infiltrating this stuff, which stands directly in the face of the truth of the gospel. Paul's addressing some of these things as he's speaking to the church, the whole purpose to readdress who God is, 
what it means to be in a relationship with Christ and what our commission is as Christians and how we're supposed to live. Beginning in John chapter one, we're gonna read one through four together. Here's what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now sometimes people can just gloss over these openings and say, oh, it's just a fancy kind of thing. No, no, no. So intentional what he's saying here. He's talking to people and what is he saying? The thing from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, Christ, Jesus, which we have heard about, the gospel, which we have seen with our own eyes, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus himself. We looked at him, our hands, we touched him. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. What John is telling his readers is saying, listen, Jesus was real. I know, I was there. I was the guy that laid upon his chest during the Last Supper. I was the guy that ran out of the Garden of Gethsemane naked when he was arrested. I was the guy who saw him hang on the cross. I was the guy who sat in that room when he miraculously appeared and watched Thomas put his hands in his side and his his hands where the holes were. Jesus was 100% human. And I was there as an eyewitness account. We're not talking about second and third hand knowledge here. If you want the truth, what do you do? Go right to what? The source. And John is a source. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you that I wasn't just one of the 12, but we know from history what we see in Scripture. John was the most, he called himself the one whom Jesus loved. And we know that he loved all 12 of them, but he was the closest to Jesus. He was the absolute closest to Jesus. And we see that. And he's speaking about it what it means to be in a relationship with Christ, saying, if you want to know the truth of the gospel, listen to what I'm going to write down and tell you, because I was there and I was an eyewitness. We write these things to make our joy complete. Nothing's going to get lost in translation. Let's look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. And church, this is what we declare this morning at Bridge this morning. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and, with, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Again, how many years have I read this chapter? And I read it and I kind of nod my head and I move. This is so important for us to think about. God is light. Think about it. Okay, what does that mean? Physical light? It's light. It's light versus darkness is the representation that we look at in Scripture. Light being good and darkness being evil. And what he's saying here is all of who God is, is good. Everything that God has is holy. There is no hint of impurity or evil or sinfulness or anything in God whatsoever. Everything that God is, is good, holy, and a blessing. In him, there is nothing of darkness. And then look what he says. If we claim to have fellowship with him, okay, meaning if we claim to have, not relationship, but fellowship, okay, there is a difference. Yesterday during our men's breakfast, Eric Fossey came and spoke and even talked about the difference of it. Relationship means that there's a connection there. I trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have relationship with him. 
because he is my dad and I am his child. Fellowship is daily intimate connection. If we claim to have daily intimate connection with God, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. And we can't live in truth. Does that make sense? He's saying that fellowship with God only exists when we choose to walk in the light, not stay in the darkness. You'd say, I don't understand the point. What's the significance of it? it it's this, because I've heard many times when, when our lives, here's the practical part for my life, when my life sometimes feels dark, like the cover of this Bible, like I'm in darkness sometimes, I can ask the question, God, where are you? Where's God when I need him? Why has God left me? Where is God in this situation? But what we see in the Bible over and over again, what does Jesus say? God never leaves. In Hebrews, he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In the Gospels, in John, when he talks about staying connected to the branch, he says, I am the vine in John 15. You are the branch. If you want to, have, if you want to experience true life, what does he say? You must remain in me. Because the vine never changes. The vine never moves. We either choose to be a part of it or we choose to not. And the same thing applies with physical light. Anywhere there is physical light, there cannot be any darkness. The only way for me to experience darkness when I'm in the midst of physical light is for the light to leave, which the Bible says doesn't happen, or for me to get out of the light. And when I get out of the light, then I'm experiencing darkness. But God never changes. So many times in our own personal walks, we can feel like God's left us or God's abandoned us or God, where are you in the midst of these difficult things? Or I don't feel as close to you as I used to be. And what we need to know and what he's trying to say here is that God never changes. We do. That's hard for me to hear sometimes. Do you know why? Because I don't like to be corrected. I know none of you have that problem. I think all of us have that problem. You mean I'm the problem? Yes, I'm the problem. No. Maybe you could turn to somebody this morning and look at them and go, you're the problem. Do it. Look at him and say, you're the problem this morning. <laughs> but, 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 then, but then I want you to, and then I want you to look at yourself and you want to say, so am I. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Listen, this is really hard in a culture that doesn't want to take responsibility for itself. People don't want to take responsibility for things. We think that we're inherently good. The Bible teaches us we're inherently dead. Foundationally, we're born into death. We're not born into life. The problem is not God, friends. The problem is us. And what John is saying here is that in God, there is complete purity, holiness, and light. If we are not close to God, it is not God's issue. It is our issue. What about the times that I feel like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death? God is always there. Talk to somebody that lost someone that's close to them. Talk to someone who's going through tragedy. Talk to people, if you ever walked through something that was difficult, that you felt like your, your heart was going to burst because of the anxiety and the fear and the struggle, and ask them, if they're walking close to God, God is still an ever-present help in the time of need. He never changes. He's always there. It doesn't mean your storms go away. Sometimes the storm in your heart is what he takes away, and you can walk through the storms. And can I tell you, when we do that, that's when the world gets, takes notice. 
How do you stay strong and strong and strong when the whole world around you is falling apart? Because that's the measure of the broken world that we live in. That's reality that we live in. You watch. We're going to see pictures over the next week of buildings and areas that are devastated because of the hurricane. And then in the midst of all of this devastation, you'll see one building that kind of sits there. You'll see it. I guarantee you'll see it somewhere. Look at that one building that was able to do it. And everybody will see that one building and go, look, it made it through the storm. Why do we make it through the storm spiritually? Because when God is our foundation, we have nothing to fear. He never changes. And if we choose to stay in fellowship with him, we cannot walk in darkness. We have to walk in the light. What that does to me personally is it challenges me to evaluate my life and go, what areas in my life are darkness? What have I compromised in my life that is darkness and not honoring to God? Can I tell you, I look at my own life. I'm so thankful that the journey that you walk with God in my own journey um, reminds me many times of things that I used to expose myself to five years, 15, 20 years ago that I would never do today. And I go, Lord, thank you for bringing me closer to you because you're showing me that some of the things that I dabbled in or the things that I thought were okay were actually darkness. And I was filling myself with the wrong thing. Thank you for bringing me closer to you today so that these things challenge me and I'm convicted today to stay close to you. That's a beautiful thing. But the journey is in our hands, church. The responsibility is in our hands to continue to choose. And this is really hard for people sometimes to grasp, but you have to choose. I have to choose darkness versus light. I can't just sit and go, well, I'm just waiting for God to do something. God says, just like he said through Joshua and Joshua 24, 15, when Moses was gone and Joshua had to take over the nation of Israel and walk them through the promised land, he said to the nation, you choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But every one of us has to choose. And we make choices every day. Choices to walk into the light or choices to walk into the darkness. The whole point I'm trying to say here is real Christians walk in the light. That's it. Real Christians walk in the light. What does that mean? We just talked about it. Well, you're going to walk in the light. Am I going to walk in the light? Or am I going to believe but I'm going to choose to walk in the darkness. John, when you get into the next couple chapters of John, it's going to blow your mind with how extreme he is. I mean it. And if you get offended by it, get offended at him. Don't even get offended at me. I'm just, writing, I'm just reading what he says. But it's true. He is so specific when he says, if you're a real Christian, you walk in the light. You choose the light. You don't choose the darkness. What does that mean? The priorities of my life, the way that I set my life up, church, is supposed to be light-giving light-giving, not life-giving, but light-giving decisions, that I don't compromise things so that darkness has a way to creep back into my life. We hear what he said, and we do what he did. We are obedient to Jesus because he is the light. If we're in the darkness, it's only because we walked away. James talks about this in James 1, 13 to 14. Look what he says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Do you know why he's saying that? Because God is 100% light. He's righteous. He's holy. Nor does he tempt anyone. But in verse 14, look what he says. But each person is tempted when they are what? Dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do nothing. 
You did it. I did it. Oh, the devil made me do it. No. God, I'm just not strong enough to do it. Wrong. You can. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. You can do it because of who he is, not because of who we are. We need to be reminded of this truth each and every day. As we walk in the light, we do it by our own choice. When we choose to walk in the darkness, it is because we have chosen to walk in the darkness. We cannot make excuses for how hard things are around us. Listen, when we're really, 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 really hungry, we will find something to eat. Am I right? Don't ever go food shopping on an empty stomach. Everything looks good. Everything looks good. Even like, like, yeah. No offense to you people that like some of those, like, you know, what is that gross thing that they make over at the meat plant? You know, the, 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 it's square and it's black. and Scrapple, scrapple. Yeah, everything but the oink, they said. They put everything in there but the oink. You know, that's disgusting. And if you guys like it, I'm not judging you, but it's gross, okay? You can eat it all you want. But can I tell you something? If I was starving, scrapple looked pretty good. If I was starving to death, scrapple would look pretty good. Am I right? When you're really, really, really hungry, everything seems to have an appeal. Everything. If we're hungry for God, if we are hungry to stay in the light, if, if this is what we're talking about, if the hunger is to stay in the light of God, then anything in our life that keeps us from being in relationship with God isn't something that we want to pay attention to. Can I tell you, this is the beauty of the Assemblies of God Fellowship. When Azusa Street broke out in the early 20th century in the 1900s in California, and people were experiencing all kinds of revival and what God was doing, and the presence of God was thick and manifest in the presence, and people from different races and colors and creeds were worshiping together, can I tell you what their response was? We want to stay in the light. So anything that is not the light is not on our table for consideration. So what would they do? They would say anything that possibly could come in that would, that would affect us in a negative way, we want nothing to do with. So that has translated over the years into things like we won't go to movies because movies can have negative stuff in it. How many of us would agree that there's a lot of filth in the media and the movie industry today, right? ton of that stuff that's out there. So they go, no movies, or you can't listen to certain kinds of music, or drums were bad, and I heard all that kind of stuff. Here's the problem, okay? That in itself, in the first generation, was a beautiful thing that they did. And do you know why? Because they didn't want to get out of the light, But when the next generation comes, the next generation is born halfway in the light and in the darkness. And they didn't have the same experience as the first generation, but the rules were still there. So the generation raises up and says, that was stupid that I couldn't go to a movie. That was stupid that I couldn't go bowling. That was stupid that I couldn't listen to this music. And the next generation comes and they're a little further away because they're not in as much of the light as the generation before them. And they say the same things. This is foolish. This is legalism. Why can't I do this? And what they're not realizing is the reason why the founding people of our fellowship put those things in place wasn't to be a a stick in the mud. It was because they didn't want to walk out of the light. So they said, none of these things matter. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what does it say? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. What is he saying? The darkness 
the sinfulness, the things that keep us away from being in the light don't matter anymore. Can I tell you, church, in 2017, we have one foot in the light sometimes and one foot in the darkness. In our churches, I think, God, I'm going, Lord, when you come back for your church, you're not coming back for a church that likes to turn tricks three days a week and then be in your presence four days a week. You're looking for a church that wants to be in your light. A church that wants to be holy, a church that wants to be pure. You could say, well, that seems kind of weird. And, you know, who cares? I'm just being honest. Who cares? Well, Christians that don't, you know, they don't do regular. You can have fun. You can play sports. You can talk about media and culture. You don't need to fill your mind and your house with negativity and, and, and bad stuff and, and compromise and things that are inappropriate to be cool. Can I tell you, it's, it's more important to be in the light than it is to be accepted by everybody. And that doesn't mean you have to be weird because there's plenty of weird Christians out there and they drive me crazy. Everything is about Jesus. Everything. I'm like, really? The light bulb's about Jesus? Everything's about Jesus. That's weird. Jesus wasn't weird. He hung out with people who didn't know him. He hung out with people who were dead and they were lost. And they would say, hey, dude, we're having this awesome party. It's going to be a really cool party and we're going to do all this nutty stuff. Jesus, do you want to come? Yeah. And he didn't go and compromise himself and make him think something that he wasn't. He just was himself. I think last, last uh, April when I went to Jacob's, um, my son Jacob's uh, winter percussion competition out in Dayton, Ohio, and, and the, the, the band teachers and the, and I think I've shared this before, but the band teachers and, the, and the, um, the section leaders and everything, after everyone would go to bed, they'd all congregate in one room and they'd all just laugh it up and have a good night. And, and it was interesting. And after like the third day or the second or third day I was there and they found out that I was a pastor, it was actually funny. One of the, one of the ladies, she was funny. She was in a circle with me and she found out what I did and she said, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And she went, whoa. And she literally jumped just like that. No kidding. I'm not kidding. It was a true story. And I just laughed and looked at her. You know, I hung out with them like one of the nights that they were being all goofy and nutty and had a good time. And you know, the one guy told me, he's like, dude, he goes, you could like hang out with us any night. He goes, it was really cool to have you hang out with us. And I went, that's what Jesus. I didn't say that to him, but in my heart, I went, you know what, Lord? I don't need to compromise my morals. I don't need to be someone that I'm not. I don't need to pretend to be something that I'm never going to be. I can just be me, and I can just be funny, and I can just be encouraging to people and speak things that are truthful. And at the end of it, it wasn't like, oh, we have to stay away from you. They said, no, you're welcome to hang out with us anytime you want. We have this misunderstanding in our minds sometimes in the church of Jesus Christ that to be relevant to people, we need to compromise our morals. And you don't. You don't. You don't know about that movie that's out, Paul. You don't know about that TV thing that's out. You're not aware of that. Oh, well, you're crazy and you're weird. Who cares if I don't know much about it? I can still be me. Don't live in a bubble. Please don't live in a bubble. Jesus didn't live in a bubble. But walk in the light. Walk in the light. Because there are benefits from walking in the light. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light. Look what happens. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What are the benefits? Look at this. Real Christians are in fellowship with God and other believers. When we choose to walk in the light, this is a litmus test for you and for me. Real Christians, followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, when you walk in the light, you are in fellowship, which is intimate relationship with other followers of Christ and with God. We already know that you're in intimate relationship with God because we said that before. But you're also in intimate relationship with other believers. 
Why am I sharing this this morning? Because sometimes we think we can just be in relationship with Jesus and grow and say, well, the church is this and the church is that. And I've been hurt by the church and and I don't like the churches around me, but Jesus and I, we're good, man. We're good. Can I tell you that's messed up? I, a couple months or a couple years ago, I preached on reasons why people leave a church or why they don't go to church. Sometimes it can be arrogance, it can be ignorance, or it can be injury. You know, people don't know about it. People have been wounded by it. People aren't haven't been taught about it. Those are legitimate reasons why people aren't connected to a community in a local church. But can I tell you, long term, it's not biblical. Because when you're walking in the light with Christ. Every other believer that's walking in the light with Christ walks alongside you. We walk together, guys. We walk as a community of faith. We don't walk as one-on-ones. We don't have just individual, well, I like the preacher on TV because he's better than you. Yeah, he probably is. Sure, I listen to him too. I podcast guys that are so much better speakers than I'll ever be, that's for sure. But you know what? They don't know my name, and I'll never know theirs. I won't know any of their details. I won't know any of their life. I won't know anything about them. But I can learn from them, and I can be taught by them, and that's a good thing. But I'll never have a relationship with them. Can I tell you, that's the point of local community. Being in relationship as the body of Christ means that when one part of the body body hurts, the body knows about it. It means when there's division going on in the church, the body comes together and takes care of that. When there's an issue, they all respond to it. You know, it makes me laugh. It's a silly illustration, but it makes me laugh. You know, this time of year, it's changing. But, you know, remember this for the springtime. When the ants start making their holes, you know, and they have all the ant hills that pile over, just go over to one one day and just go, and just knock it over and see what happens to an ant hill. You know what they do? They all like scatter, scatter, scatter. And they all come and they're like, we gotta fix this, we gotta fix this. You don't see any ants sitting on the side going, not doing that again. You don't see them doing that. Well, that's that guy's job. That's not my guy's job. That's someone else's job. They don't do that. What do they do? They respond because they understand as a colony, they function as a body. Can I say in the church, it's not supposed to be any different. If you're an individual, that's okay because you're a child of Christ. If you believe in individualism, that has nothing to do with Christianity. Individuals are okay, and we need to be unique. And we actually practice unity in our church, not uniformity. We don't have to all look the same. But genuine Christians, real Christians, should be in fellowship with each other and other believers. That's why Pastor Rob's talking about community groups. My mind would be blown if 100% of our church were involved in community groups. I don't even know how I'd respond to that. You know, I think Jesus is taking me to heaven just like that. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. But I've talked to so many people over the years that would say things like, you know, well, I don't think I need to be in a community group, or I don't this, and I can do that. And listen, there are situations where it's hard with work schedules, and I understand it doesn't work for everybody with the stage of life that they're in. I get that. But there needs to be people connected in the body of Christ that you are in community with. You do not build relationships with each other sitting here on Sunday mornings. You only do it when you're hurting or when you are in relationship over meals and tables and you go, who do I call when I need help to stay in the light, for example? If you don't have a group of people that you can call to stay in the light when you're hurting and you're feeling like wandering into the darkness, you're in a whole lot of trouble, my friend, because you're never going to do it by yourself. So isolate yourself and watch what happens. That is the enemy's greatest ploy. Separation, isolation, and you watch it. I've seen it year after year after year. People just walk away and they get further and further afar from everybody and they kind of huddle around themselves and the devil goes, I got them right where they need to be. When we're walking in the light, we're going to stay in relationships with other people and other believers. Now for the introverts in this room, that's like an anxiety attack. 
Because you're saying, what? I need my time alone. Of course you do. You don't need to live with them every day. We're not talking about communal living. You know, we're not all going to sell our, sell our houses and move into one big, you know, 50-acre lot or something like that. That would be silly. There are people that do that, but I'm not called to do that. But if you've ever been on a missions trip for seven days and hang out with people almost 24-7 and work next to them and serve next to them, the relationship bonds are strong. Every ministry trip I've ever been on, every missions trip I've ever been on, I can tell you it's something special that happens with the group of people that are there. Every single time I can tell you it happens. And I was blown away. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about the Costa Rica trip. And I was blown away to watch and see the relationships that were on the perimeter start to gel and become one because people were, were mobilizing around a common thing. Can I tell you, that's so spiritual to see people move to tears about building a relationship with each other. That is beautiful. That's the way the church is supposed to be. When you're walking in the light, you have fellowship with God and you have fellowship with other believers. So how do we walk this out? 1 John 1.8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. What am I trying to say here? Real Christians recognize their sin and confess it to each other. This is like, okay, now we're stepping on toes this morning. Recognizing sin is something that I think more of us can understand and go, okay, I know that I have my struggles and my problems. But what does confession look like? When was the last time you confessed something to a brother or a sister in the Lord? When was the last time you went to them? And confession doesn't just mean, hey, I need to tell you to see you. Confession is a recognition. It's going to someone acknowledging the fault and asking them for help. Help me overcome this. Help me conquer this. That takes incredible amount of, of candidness. You've got to be really, really willing to get hurt because people can use that against you, can't they? They pick it up and they throw it back at you at some time. It happens. But can I tell you, real confession Confession is, I don't want to do this anymore, God, but confess it to each other. We're not going to go to James 5 today, but it says in James that if any one of you are sick and want to be healed, confess your sins to one another and then be prayed for so that you can be healed. There's something incredibly humble about recognizing our iniquities and honestly confessing it to another brother or sister in Christ. Easy or hard? What do you think? How many of you think that that's hard to do? Raise your hand if you think that's hard. Okay. How many think it's easy to do? I want to hang with you. You know, don't raise your hand then, right? It's hard to do. It's really hard to do. You've got to be honest. You've got to be transparent. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to go to somebody that you hope is not going to take that difficult thing, that sensitive thing they're giving you and crush it. So many times it's happened and we've been wounded and how do we respond? I'm never doing that again. So we go to God and we pray. And we go to God and we ask God for help. And God just in his whisper says, you got to walk it out with somebody. You can't do it by yourself. No, I was hurt. I'm never going to do this again. And we shut down in that area and we stop becoming, if you will, we stop fully walking in the light and becoming the full type of follower that Jesus has asked us to become. And sometimes we get stuck in our sin and then we get used to our sin and it just becomes a way of life. I'm always going to be a victim. 
I'm always going to feel wounded. I'm always going to feel hurt. I'm always going to be stuck in that addiction. I'm never going to change. I'm just going to live with it. I'm going to walk through life with a chain. Can I tell you, Jesus died so that we wouldn't have any chains anymore. Jesus died so we wouldn't have chains anymore. And the power that we have comes by following what he asks us to do. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The world defines two types of people, good people, evil people. The gospel defines two types of people, those who are raised to life and those who remain dead. We recognize that today, right? The recognition is number one. We recognize, then we must confess, and we've got to trust that God has the power to forgive us of our sin. One of our families was so kind to leave this at the Welcome Center, and I saw it this morning, this cute little bib. It says, I get my muscles from Daddy. That's good, huh? You like that? Isn't that cute? doesn't fit me. I tried. Christians need bibs like this. We need to wear a shirt that says this. I get my muscles from my dad. Because we know that the scripture says the one who raised Jesus to life, the spirit who raised Jesus to life is the same spirit that lives who? Where? In you, in me, in us. So it's not your own strength, but the only way we tap into that strength is to recognize that we have to do it the way that he asks us to do it. Pastor Matt, if you guys come up as we get ready to close this morning. Confession is incredibly difficult to do, but it's incredibly humbling if we do it God's way. Recognizing where we're hurting and choosing to do something different. You know the thing that boggles my mind on a weekly basis? is knowing so many things that I know about people across the church and the things they wrestle with and the struggles that they wrestle with and my own things and go, why are we in such a hurry all the time to be done and to move on? Why don't we get our junk taken care of? How long, as I said last week, how many more years are we going to let the devil steal? Because that's what he does, guys. He steals. We'll do it tomorrow. We won't do it today. We'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Because we'll think we'll get to it another time. And he says, just hang on to it for another day or two. And then when you get to that day or two, you hang on it for another day or two. Can I tell you this morning, the only way the church becomes the church, and the only way real Christians walk fully in the light, is we've got to recognize the fact that we are sinful people. And we have to be willing in vulnerability to confess that to others and walk it out with accountability. What do you wrestle with this morning? That's between you and God. I don't need to call anything out. I don't even know. But we all struggle with different things. Some of us struggle with things that have been repetitive issues that have never, ever been resolved. Some of you know this morning as you're sitting there saying, Holy Spirit, you're putting something on my heart right now and you're reminding me, I I need to be open in this area. I need to change this. I can't keep hearing words and messages and do nothing about it. It's time to respond. Will you respond this morning? Not to me. Respond to what God's putting in your heart. Because when you respond to him, he gives you the power. He gives you the authority. He doesn't allow you to go it alone. And when we try to go it alone, what we're trying to say is our authority is strong enough And we, as fleshly, imperfect people, can solve supernatural issues. And it's not possible. 
Humans can't fix spiritual problems. God can fix spiritual problems. And he uses people that are broken. What does sharing it with somebody else have to do about that? Well, I'll ask you, how broken do you think you have to be before you go to somebody for help? I've got to be pretty broken because it's uncomfortable. And there are areas and places in my world that I don't want to let people into because it's personal and it's private. And God, it's none of their business. And God says, if you want to walk in the light, confess your sins to one another. He is faithful and just. He's going to forgive you of your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. The last scripture is beautiful. My dear children, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What is he saying there? God gave us his son, who is more than capable to handle what you give him. Anything you give him, he can take. Anything. Well, God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to my, to my job if I come clean? God's big enough to deal with it. What's going to happen to my child or my kids if I come clean? God's big enough to handle it. What's going to happen in my marriage if I come clean? God's big enough to handle it. But you've got to be willing to have the hard conversations and do the things. And it might be difficult, but you're never going to be destroyed when you do it God's way. Let's come out of the darkness as a church and let's come into the light so that we can worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you stand with me this morning?